Businesses are all about relationships, right? Sure, I think we can all agree on that to one extent or another, but what exactly do we mean by it? Most often, a business's relationships are understood in terms of customer service, promotional partnerships, and management structures. They're draped in the same words we use to describe our time and money, optimization, efficiency, investment, opportunity. But that's not the language we use to describe our relationships with the people we genuinely care about, though. Most of us don't want to optimize our marriages or see our friendships as opportunities for advancement. We want to connect, to relate, to belong, to nurture. So what happens when we apply the same motivation to our business relationships? I'm Tara McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that explores how small business owners are building stronger businesses beyond the shoulds and supposed tos. This month, I've got a series on relationships for you. We're going to explore the obvious, our relationships with customers, with our teams, and with our colleagues. We're also going to explore the not-so-obvious, our relationship to ourselves and our businesses. As I mentioned, much of the talk about relationships in business is couched in the language of optimization, opportunity, and even domination and exploitation. When Gary Vee says he's crushing it, it's not really an it he's crushing but a who. When we talk about likes, shares, clicks, and eyeballs, we forget that there's living, breathing humans on the other side of that metric. Our capitalist culture has taught us to reduce all of these interactions to their ability to help us earn more and get ahead. We're taught to value individualism, speed and efficiency, competition, ownership, hierarchy, and the myth of the meritocracy. Jennifer Armbrust, who you'll hear from later in this episode, describes these traits as part of patriarchy and the masculine economy. Jennifer proposes a different type of economy, the feminine economy. In the feminine economy, we value abundance, gratitude, empathy, care, collaboration, and interdependence, the roots of true relationship. It's tempting to think that because we're small business owners, we're always on the side of good, honest, sustainable business. But since the patterns of domination and exploitation are baked into our definitions of power and success, we don't get a free pass. Small business isn't the solution to our problems, but it can be a vehicle for pursuing business relationships in a more human way if we're willing to examine how we do business and what that means for the people we're in relationship with. Now, this is one expression of how Jennifer describes feminist entrepreneurship. She writes in Proposals for the Feminine Economy, quote, Feminist entrepreneurship requires that we quit equating masculine principles with success and power and feminine principles with inadequacy and weakness. To do something as audacious as call your business feminist requires showing up every day with humility, heart, intrepid creativity, criticality, courage, self-love, and a passion for growth. It requires accountability to yourself, your business, and to the larger social project of dismantling patriarchal and oppressive systems. How we understand the relationships we form in business and how we pursue nurturing those relationships can be a huge step in the direction of doing business through a feminist lens. You might remember that one of my commitments for this year is to practice belonging. In many ways, the practice of belonging is a feminist pursuit. 
It's my attempt to cultivate a deep knowing of our inherent interdependence and the abundance of our collective existence. It's a reminder that I'm not separate from my community or the people I'm in relationship with, nor do I need to prove myself worthy of acceptance or care. Sebene Selassie writes in her book, You Belong, quote, we learn that appreciation, acceptance, and sometimes even love are connected to how we measure up. How could this not affect our sense of belonging? To practice belonging is to practice appreciation, acceptance, and love outside of a rubric of success or material value. To practice belonging is to dismantle tactics and strategies based on domination or exploitation, and to rebuild genuine relationships that I can fully participate in. But to do that, I have to belong to myself First, I have to re-examine my relationship to the many different layers of who I am, how I show up, and what I want. I'm reminded of the story that Sharin Eskandani told in episode 282 about how she had devoted her life to belonging as a professional opera singer, always working for a higher accolade or better part so that she felt like she was enough. And the realization that even achieving her dream couldn't make her feel like she was enough. My childhood dream had always been to to be an opera singer and to sing at the Metropolitan Opera. I come from a super musical family. It seems like a really odd dream when you say that, but I just, you know, I just knew. And so I just pursued that dream with so much passion and love and joy. I mean, really singing was, was the joy of my life. I grew up in Canada, went to a great school undergrad, and, and there I was kind of like a big fish in a little pond. I was really talented. I was highly productive, highly driven, highly motivated kid. And so all of those things combined, I really did really well there. But what it also meant was I'd never kind of addressed all those inner insecurities, right? Because I was always just depending on being the best. As long Mm -hmm. as I'm the best, everything's fine. And so I moved to New York. I got accepted into a really great master's here. And I realized that everyone here is the best and everyone here is super driven. Everyone is talented. And not having that identity of being the best kind of took me into a tailspin where all those insecurities took over. I'm someone who is a perfectionist. I always say like a recovering perfectionist because those tendencies don't go anywhere. I'm an overachiever, a people pleaser. And so I started doing the work from that place. And What's unfortunate, but also fortunate about those mechanisms is that they actually get us very far. They're rewarded in our society, right? And so I was, I was creating the career I always wanted. I was working full time in the US and in Europe as an opera singer. And from the outside, I was a success doing the things I wanted to be doing, but my life didn't feel the way that I thought it was going to feel. I was exhausted. I was miserable. It never felt like it was enough, no matter what I achieved, all I could focus on was what I should be doing better and what my colleagues were doing. And so it was just this endless cycle of achieving and never feeling like enough. I was pretty much on the verge of burnout. I didn't know what burnout was at the time, but I was really just saying, okay, I can't sing anymore because this is that thing that brought me so much joy is now making me miserable. And my agent called me, this was in 2016. And he said, Sharin, the Metropolitan Opera wants you to sing in Carmen next season. Like literal childhood dream come true. Nothing could have been more perfect about this dream. Nothing. 
And this was a moment I dreamed of for so long as a young girl. Like I thought I'd be filled with so much joy and happiness. And as a young woman in my 20s, I always thought that, you know, I'd say to myself, if you ever get this job, you'll know you're good enough. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget being on that call and having that like initial moment of joy and then realizing, oh my gosh, like this isn't enough. I still don't feel like I'm good enough. I, this isn't enough to prove to me that I'm a success or that my life is fulfilling. I didn't have any of those feelings that I thought I was going to feel. And it made me realize that no external circumstance will ever make us feel the way that we want to feel. That responsibility isn't on the outside, isn't on what we do, but it's on what we're doing on the inside. And so I had a year and a half to prepare for when I sang at the Met. And in that year and a half, of course, I worked on my craft, but I also worked on my mindset, my emotional health, my spiritual health, my mental health. And I was doing mindset work and mindfulness. And I started working with a coach and all of those things combined really transformed my life to the point where I say that my biggest success in life wasn't singing at the Met, but it was singing at the Met and enjoying every part of that process, which included the moments where I didn't do so well, which included the moments where, you know, things did not go as planned. Um, but I had built up such incredible resilience. I had built up such a great toolkit um, to take care of myself and navigate those hard moments that I could just be in the joy of it. I love how Sharin describes her biggest success as enjoying every part of the process, even the parts that didn't go the way she wanted them to. Instead of constantly striving to measure up and feeding into what Sebene Selassie calls the delusion of separation by competing and comparing, she realized joy and satisfaction. She found a way to transform her relationship to herself. I asked her for more details on how she made this mindset shift. As a first-generation immigrant kid, um, I grew up with a lot of struggles and difficulty, and I think that's kind of what I saw and the mindset my family was in. And so it's always about expecting the worst, um, always thinking that you're the one who can fix everything. So if something goes wrong, you're a failure. This is your fault. It was because of X, Y, and Z. And so mindset work really transformed my life, which was like, okay, really get clear on how you are thinking really write down all of those thoughts and work through them. Is it true that you're a failure? Is it true that, you know, you are not worthy? And these are really big, big questions that take time to sift through because there's always going to be a part of you that's like, yeah, you're a total failure. And it's working with all of that um, and finding the truth that you can find right now. Whenever I do mindset work, um, it's tough because I think in the world of coaching, we see a lot of affirmations, positive affirmations, okay. which is like, go from, you know, I'm a failure to I'm a success or I am enough. But if for 30 plus years, you've been saying to yourself, I'm a failure, you can't go to I'm a success the next day. And so what I do with my clients and the work that I, I did was I say, okay, those are Mount Everest thoughts, great thoughts, thoughts that we're working towards, but you got to just work your way up to the next summit. You know, I always say reach for the best feeling thought you have access to. And I think that's where I didn't connect with a lot of the coaching work was that they were saying these things that I really wanted to believe and I couldn't. And it was making me feel worse, right? It wasn't helping me feel like, like a success. It was making me feel like I was a failure at trying to be a success through mindset work, which was doubly difficult. So that for me was really kind of pivotal was 
reach for the best feeling thought you have access to right now that's going to make you feel just a little bit better, you know? Another area where we can really examine our relationships with ourselves is around boundaries. Are our boundaries, even if we have them, strong and steady, or are they porous and changeable? Our boundaries tell us a lot about how we value ourselves and how confident we are that sharing our needs won't alienate us from others. Boundaries, in many ways, are about being seen with our own needs instead of always morphing to meet others' needs to our own detriment. And to be willing to be seen, we have to have a good relationship with ourselves. Adrian Marie Brown writes in Emergent Strategy, interdependence requires being seen as much as possible as your true self, meaning that your capacity and need are transparent, meaning even when I don't want to look in the mirror, I am and I choose to be open to the attention of others. I asked Nicole Lewis-Kieber, my go-to expert on understanding the interplay of my relationship to myself and to my business, about boundaries in episode 248. Well, we can be clear with people about what is okay, what is not okay, what my role is, what your role is, what you can expect from me and what I need from you. The clearer you can be, the better the relationship will be and the less uh, bumping up against those boundaries will happen because you created a clear container that people know how to move through. And that sounds so simple, but it is not because we are not taught how to do that, right? So. No. Yeah, no, (laughs) no, 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 we are not. So I think that's a really good place to start. And you must start with yourself first to know what it is that your boundary with yourself is around having this client or doing this new work. Like, what is the boundary for you first? Self-inquiry is a really great thing. You know, when we work for other people, sometimes they tell us what our role is. And, uh, you know, we get a job description and, you know, we have meetings about deliverables. There's actually a lot of clear information that we're getting that we don't realize that helps us kind of move through. When you're someone who's working for yourself, maybe, or you know, developing a new company for yourself, you have to do that work with yourself first mm-hmm. and be very clear about, okay, so, you know, um, I have decided that I want to work with this type of client or do this type of consulting or do this type of work. How will I know that I'm being successful? What will it feel like to uh, be successful in this relationship? And what is not okay with me? Um And again, I know it sounds simple to say, ask yourself these questions, but this is super important because it's foundational and boundaries need foundations, right? Mm -hmm. And they have to start with you. Boundaries have to start with you and you have to know what you want and have some level of confidence in your enoughness to set those boundaries. We're going to take a look at how strengthening your boundaries can have a big impact in how your business runs and how it supports you in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. People are craving connection to others who share their values, interests, and goals now more than ever. And the places they used to go to pursue those kinds of relationships have only gotten more divisive, more commercialized, and less likely to actually help you find the kinds of people you're looking for. Big social media has made it harder to nurture existing relationships and start new ones. 
So what's the alternative? The alternative is when people like you take the lead and gather together a bunch of people with shared values, shared interests, and shared goals. Your customers would love to get to know each other better. They'd love to work together to solve shared challenges and pursue new opportunities. And you, well, you can bring them together. Mighty Networks makes it easy. You can create a customized private social network just for your people. Plus, you can offer courses, events, and small groups all on the same platform. The What Works Network runs on Mighty Networks, and so does our Yellow House Media Group, the Standout Podcast Club. We chose Mighty Networks because it gives us a way to bring people together without the distraction of social media. Get started with your own Mighty Network today. Start your free trial by going to MightyNetworks.com. What Works is also brought to you by the Standout Podcast Club. Are you a podcaster or aspiring podcaster who wants to create a standout show that helps to grow your business? We'd love to support you inside Standout Podcast Club. The Standout Podcast Club is your hub for the training, coaching, and networking you need to produce a podcast that grows your small business. Inside, you'll find a complete blueprint for producing a podcast that gets noticed, attracts an audience, and helps you grow your business. Standout Podcast Club is more than an online course. It's a dynamic, community-powered coaching hub that helps us help you on every aspect of how you produce your show. If you run into a question, ask. If you're looking for feedback on an idea, tell the club. If you want to talk trends, strategy, or planning for the future, start the conversation. We want to help you use your voice and grow your business, and so do the other podcasters inside the club. We also offer a roundtable discussion and Q&A call each month so that you can meet up with other podcasters, get your questions answered in real time, and learn new of-the-moment ideas for your show. Find out more by going to Standout Podcast dot club that's standoutpodcast.club Once you've started to shift your relationship to yourself away from comparison and striving, and once you've started to assert your own needs as boundaries, some pretty amazing things can start to happen. Suddenly, you start asking yourself creative what-if questions about your business and how you relate to it. You stop trying to prove that you're doing this whole business thing right, and you start wondering how you can do this business thing your way. Mindy Totten shared a remarkable example of this shift at work in episode 190. Mindy had been working six days a week, trying to be everything to everyone in her bodywork business because she believed that that was just the way it had to be done. But a conversation with a client suffering from ALS inspired her to approach things differently and reconsider her relationship with herself and her business. So the first thing that I did since I was, you know, trying to offer everything to everyone was really focus on the modality that I loved, which is this craniosacral therapy. So I made an actual date, you know, from this date forward, I'm no longer taking any massage clients, hot stone, none of that other stuff. I'm only going to do what I really love. And of course, anytime you do something like this, of course, it's like walking off a cliff, right? But what does Joseph Campbell say? Jump and the parachute will open, you know, Mm -hmm. but um, I'm the kind of gal who likes to make sure the parachute is all hooked up and nothing is, (laughs) the the lines are not crossed or anything. But I, I knew that if, if I made that initial shift, that it would either work or it wouldn't. And then I, then I would know. So what ended up happening is of course I got 
more people coming in. So then I'm still working six and a half days, but I'm doing the work that I really love. So that's, that's terrific. And when I say six and a half days, I'm not working, you know, 12 hour days or anything, seeing people, seeing clients, but you know how it is. All of us who have our own business, you know, oh, you're so lucky you have your own business. You can set your own hours. Well, I'm working all the time, (laughs) you know, so I knew I had to shift that as well. So I went from uh, six and a half days down to four days. And to do that, I, I really didn't have to make a, a huge shift, Tara, to my clients. I had to make an internal shift. So I didn't make any big announcement. I didn't, you know, put a, a letter out there or anything. I just started saying, okay, from now on, it's Monday through Thursday. And every once in a while, I would work a Saturday because there's some folks who that's the only day they can come. So I thought, okay, again, it's either going to work or it's not going to work. And again, People, you know, people would say things to me that were so far out of my <laughs> realm of reality. They'd say, oh, OK, you don't have anything Friday. Um, let me rearrange my schedule so that I can, <laughs> you know, and I was like, wait, I could have been doing this all these years. So um, that was really helpful for me. And then when I was doing four days, I finally said, you know what, I, I want to do three days. And in the meantime, you know how life happens, a a series of things kind of opened themselves to me. And my husband and I were able to buy a teeny tiny 600 square foot place at the beach. And it was just a couple years later after I had that kind of epiphany. And so there was a place to actually go to live this dream, this vision that I had had. So then it became easier. It was like, all right, I, I want to be down at the beach. So let me go from four days to three days. And to do that, I did have to uh, be a more visible, <laughs> mm-hmm. more um, vocal with that change. So I, I let people know. And I remember this one gal in particular, ter- I was so terrified because she had been coming to me weekly for you know a decade. And I, I sat down and I said, you know, starting in July, this was a couple months out, I'm only going to be seeing clients on you know, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And I said, so I'm going to need to move you to Wednesday starting in July. And she goes, oh, do you want to just start doing that next week? That would be better <laughs> for me. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. So it, it just so the, the difference between then and now is before I would work, you know, I'd see a client at nine in the morning and then I wouldn't have another one until one. And so between 10 and one. I would kind of dilly dally. I would try to work on the practice. I would try to do the accounting. I would try to do the graphic design. I would try to do a little bit of outreach. And then the person would come at one and I was a little scattered. So I don't feel like I was doing my best work then. So as I condensed the number of days that I worked, I was able to really be present for my clients and my work improved. And so their outcomes also improved. The kind of shift that Mindy made is just one way that developing a better relationship with yourself first and then your business can play out. I've also seen it play out in new business models or types of offers. I've seen it play out in making big investments that help business owners make a much bigger impact and realize their vision. And I've seen it play out in how people grow their businesses and build their teams. Often, if not always, when you start to work on your relationship to yourself as a business owner and your relationship with your business, it inspires 
a sort of identity crisis. You might start to realize that you're more indispensable as the leader of the business than as a provider, the way you've always thought about yourself. You might start to see the ways you're really creating value, and you might even start to see how your assumptions or worries have allowed you to make things so much harder on yourself than they had to be all because of the role you thought you were playing in your business. I asked Allison Pigeon whether she'd gone through this kind of identity crisis, building up her group practice, Move Forward Counseling, in episode 147. Yeah, that's a great question. So yes, that definitely happened. Um, So obviously, you know, my whole background was um, you know, getting a master's degree in counseling psychology and, and working in the field for a long time, just providing therapy. When I first started, a big chunk of the income coming in was from me seeing clients. And so it was even hard to see, like, from a financial standpoint, like, how could I stop seeing clients? Because mm-hmm. so much of my my own personal income was coming from that. And then I had a, a meeting one day with a business coach and, and, you know, sort of came to the conclusion, like, I'm holding the business back because I can't be the CEO. I don't have the time and the the space to think about these big picture things and where is the practice going because I'm seeing clients. And then I just realized like, oh, I have to stop seeing clients and, you know, hope that I put everything into place so that like, you know, the other therapist will then start making up for the loss of income, which did happen. And, you know, there's a little bit of growing pains there, but eventually it did. And then I Um, was able to see, oh, yeah, it's much better for me to be the Mm -hmm. CEO. And that's actually what I enjoy doing rather than seeing clients all the time. Allison realized that to nurture her relationship with her business, she needed to step fully into this new role. And when you're so used to belonging to the role you've been in, whether that's as a coach, a therapist, a writer, a marketer, a lawyer, or a consultant, you might first feel a twinge of anxiety at the risk you're taking. But even if much of your work doesn't change, stepping into that new role puts you into a healthier relationship with your business, and that always works out for the best. Now, to finish things out here, I want to delve deeper into this idea of being in relationship with your business. So often, we see ourselves and our businesses as one and the same. And whoa boy, does this limit our creativity, our leadership, and even our ability to care for ourselves and for others. Jennifer Armbrust, who I mentioned earlier, described this internal shift that allowed her to see that she was in relationship with her business in episode 133. My main gig was still consulting, um, working one-on-one. I didn't actually really see that shifting. It wasn't like I was like, I'm going to start a school and make this my whole new pivot business. But um, I was instead like, oh, I think I have this curriculum in me. I'm going to write this and put it out there. It was like really underpriced. And it just, it, it suddenly like became more successful and bigger than I could have imagined. And that was a good shift for me because it's such a different way of working to teach and to create online curriculum and to be working with like 20 people at a time Mm -hmm. instead of sitting uh, with one person. So uh, that was the first piece of it. And then I think as I got in it and was teaching and writing and creating content, 
again, I want to surf. I want to like travel the world and surf. And I was like, I can see a vision and the value of creating a framework for feminist entrepreneurship. It doesn't exist right now. And I feel like I had to look at this, get to this crossroad and look at the two paths and be like, okay, Jennifer, are you going to do it by yourself? Or are you going to create the structure that allows you to co-author that Mm. framework with other people? And it was like, a no brainer for so many reasons. First of all, because the very principles of feminine and feminist ideas says together, it doesn't, it doesn't say like, you're the hero that creates the genius idea. It says like, we do this together because what we know together is more powerful and more important than what one person can figure out. And then it was just a time analysis thing where I was like, I don't want to work 80 hours a week, which is what it's going to take to make this framework. Mm -hmm. So that was that was the big shift and the big split of like, it's not about me anymore. It's about me. It's about like, I hold the vision. I know what I want to make, but I need to do it with other people. I'm really just trying to own that my new job is to create something bigger than myself and something actually where I don't have to do the work too, where I can create a creative space where we're generating ideas, where we're generating answers, where we're cultivating a framework for feminist entrepreneurship. And my job is to create that vessel. Seeing your business as separate from you is the first step in creating the space to receive help, to have your needs met, and to collaborate with others. And when you spend time getting to know your business as separate from you and nurturing your relationship to it, it can start to provide for you the way you've been providing for it. Jennifer Armbrust again. I am really interested in this idea of having a relationship with your business and that your business has a spirit. I mean, maybe not every business. Some businesses are just mechanical profit machines. Mm -hmm. But I think if you're leading a purpose-led business, there is actually kind of like a soul to your business. There's a spirit to it. And I am just like taking that and running with it. I do this practice of actually mentally talking to my business. Like, what do you need? How can you help me? Here's what I need. That is really helping me know what to prioritize, what to make choices about. I know it sounds so woo and crazy, but I will tell you the proof is in the pudding. Like when I do this with clients, they love it. And it's just this feeling of like, oh, I'm not alone. I'm in partnership. I'm in partnership with my business and we're doing this together, you know, and then it's, it's a lot clearer to know what steps to take, what to do, what doesn't need to get done. And it's fun, right? It's fun to be like, oh my gosh, what am I, this is my imaginary friend because you are (laughs) kind of in an imaginary relationship with your business. Anyway, we all know that anyone who's been in business, you're like in this thing and some days it's good and some days it's bad. So for me, I created like a little space again, kind of like my physical space is so important to me as a way of embodying the things I care about. So in my new office, there's like a little cubby hole that's dedicated to my business spirit. Like mine has its very clear personality and I know what it looks like. So there's like a little representation of it in there. I've got some notes, some little intentions and reminders and just some spirit stuff that I like. And it's really close to my main working space. So I look up at that and I'm just like, oh yeah, sister, like connect with sister, ask sister, like just, just be present. And sometimes I'll be like, oh, come on, sister, like bring me some clients or like, (laughs) you know, yeah, it's kind of like you're, they're there to help. Like your business wants to succeed. Your business like came to you with the express goal of like existing in the world. So I think your business is your number one ally. Is your business your number one ally? 
I think this is such a provocative and important question. What happens when we start to see our relationships to our businesses differently? What happens when we allow our businesses to care for us? What happens when we work in a container that can actually meet our needs, even our desires, instead of a container that keeps us in the draining role of full-time caregiver? What happens when your business becomes your number one ally? I think for most of us, this is a work in progress. It may even be a job that's never quite finished. As we work on our relationships to ourselves and our relationships to our businesses, I know that we can find confidence, ease, and agency through our mutual support. Today's episode featured clips from interviews with coach Sharin Eskandani, business therapist Nicole Lewis-Kieber, body worker Mindy Totten, Move Forward counseling founder Allison Pigeon, and sister founder Jennifer Armbrust. Visit the show notes to find links to them and their full What Works interviews. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt. Our production assistants are Lou Blazer and Kristen Runbeck. Learn more about Yellow House Media and the Standout Podcast Club at yellowhouse.media. What Works is recorded on the ancestral land of the Susquehannock and Conestoga people in what is now known as Lidditz, Pennsylvania. The Yellow House is located on the unceded land of the Kutunaha Nation in what is now known as the Flathead Valley of Montana. <laughs>